It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, episode 35. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I am your worst nightmare, Jameson <laughs> Dance. I don't know. I just want to say something besides host. I'm your host. You're my worst nightmare host. You're the nightmare host. You're my, you're my <laughs> sweet dream host, Jameson. Aw, uh, thanks. Well... Uh, this episode today is brought made possible by the uh, good people over at Dev Mountain, and we'll be hearing more about them later. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the Ferrari, by the way. <laughs> you only got a Ferrari? <laughs> Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Did they cut a separate deal with you? <laughs> mm, I'm not going to say. Okay. Let's just say you could park your Ferrari in my deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. All right. Do we have good, any questions for this you. week? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions now, <laughs> but yes, we have some soft skills question. This one's pretty short. How do I attract talent? That's it. Yeah, that's it. All right. That's it. Attracting talent. Um, if it's magnetic talent, I think you could use a ferrous material. Yeah. Like for, for, I don't know, maybe you have robot engineers and they are magnetic somehow. They're made of iron. Yep. <laughs> you can attract them with a right. magnet. Yeah, okay. What else? What else? <laughs> that's, all, that's the only that's the only way I know how to do it. Okay. I mean, children and also myself are very attracted to sugar. <laughs> you can use sugar to attract talent and ants. Wait, do you have um, to do you have, <laughs> ants? <laughs> do you have to attract the talent or do you have to attract the person who has the talent? Oh yeah, what if you just yeah, this sounds like the plot from a children's cartoon in the 80s. What if you just steal all the talent <laughs> and you put it in a ring and you wear the ring? <laughs> that might work. Um, <laughs> besides that, so, well, Dave, you should give your, your cred. You have a lot of, uh, you, you have a pedigree about this and I want to hear it so I know how much attention to pay to the stuff you say. <laughs> well, if you have to ask how much attention to pay to me, I think you already know the answer. <laughs> So I've been interviewing and hiring engineers. Well, okay, I've been interviewing engineers for the last 15 years, pretty much solid. Um, I've been formally making offers and hiring engineers for the last two years, which means it, I was kind of the final decision maker, <clears throat> and I actually made the offers and stuff. Um, and I've probably, I've grown teams from like 25 engineers to over 100 and from at one company and then from about three engineers to about 30 at another company. So I've definitely seen my share of talent coming into teams. Yeah. I've, I've been involved at a much different level. <laughs> I, I've been interviewing uh, engineers for most of my career. I haven't been as much on like the side where I'm solely responsible for building the team kind of like you were, but I, Oh, but I've I wouldn't also, say I was solely responsible by the way. It's just, you carried that team on I your back. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you know what I mean? And I've also just kind of recruited and referred a lot of people uh, as as just a regular old employee trying to get people I want to work with to work there. So the number one thing I think you need to do to attract good engineering talent is you actually have to make it a great place to work. You just can't fake that. And like that's number one. So if you have this, if you work for a really terrible company and you're like, how can I attract talent to come work with me in this awful situation? (laughs) (laughs) There's no advice I can give you. (laughs) 
Actually, no, there is one piece of advice. It's the same thing we always fall back to. <laughs> Quit your job and get a new one and then attract talent to that other job. Yeah. <laughs> I just want the salt mines to be a little less lonely, though. <laughs> is that too much to ask? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. So that's the long, that's like the big underlying foundational point is that you have to make it a good place to work. Mm-hmm. And then... uh after there are and, many yeah. many other points that <laughs> yeah. lead from that. Um and that's probably the hardest thing to achieve but because first of all it takes like full buy-in from the company, not just engineering but like the whole company has to be in on that. And secondly because it actually means different things to different people. You know? Yeah. Um, like Jameson I mean, for example, he requires a ball pit. I do and that turns a lot of people away, believe it or not. <laughs> not everyone is uh, not everyone's there yet. Not everyone's on the next gen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm over switching JavaScript frameworks every year. I switch which perk is required every year. <laughs> That's a good point, though, to talk about perks a little bit. There, there are all these trappings of of a good place to work. Either, um, they they've just kind of acquired the the notion that like, oh, if you have a ping pong table, that means you're cool, or if you have great snacks or a chef or someone (laughs) that does your laundry or, (laughs) or I don't know. There are all these kind of, they're, they're very easy to put into place and they're very visible. And so they often get identified as things that make good culture, things that make a place great to work. And I was kind of like grumpy about them. And I've mentioned this before that they, they can be distracting and some people find them annoying and whatever. But you said something really interesting before the show um, about how they reflect uh, kind of an underlying desire. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think they can be a signal of good things happening at the company for engineers because they can indicate that a company is willing to put their money where their mouth is. You know, if they say, hey, we want to make this a great place to work for engineers, but then they don't invest money into that. Because really, at the end of the day, business only speaks one language, and that's money. Anything else has no meaning to the business as far as like actually expressing its desire to do something for you, you know? So it's like, yeah, we want it to be a great place for engineers, but we're not going to invest in any perks of any kind for you. Um, yeah. That may or may not be a bad signal, but if they do say, yeah, you know what? We're going to have some nice things for you here at the office. That says something. It's not necessarily 100% predictive, but it at least says something. My hang up with them is it's so easy to have a terrible place to work that also has a ping pong table. They're so superficial that if you use them as signals for good culture, it's it's really easy for people to fake that signal. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I recently took a job where there are basically no in-office perks. Like there's sure. no ping pong table. There's no treats. There's no doggy kennel grooming station. Yeah, no, no stand-up pup. That comes to all your stand-up meetings. (laughs) He's a a scrum service dog. (laughs) (laughs) How can you live without your service dog? (laughs) So, so I think no service dogs are a real thing. Scrum service dogs are not. That's a real thing. So, I I think that the absence or presence of a ping pong table or a or a, a pinball machine or or candy are is really no indicator at all. Um, but it might, uh, that's, I guess that that's the kind of the opposite of what I just said. Basically the presence of, the, of those things <laughs> m- might indicate 
good things, but they might not. So <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is they really can't. <laughs> you just can't use them as a as a decision maker. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm a little jaded by them because I've seen companies that are not places I would want to work use them to counterfeit cool and and mm-hmm. and what makes me sadder is it sometimes works and convinces people but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it I enjoy a, a, to ping the pong every once in a while too. <laughs> I've been known to ping a pong in my day. <laughs> All right, so what about the interview process? You're you're getting close to <laughs> kicking off a rant it's all garbage never interview anybody and that's the only way we can be sure <laughs> jameson basically believes you can't determine whether someone's a good engineer during an interview <laughs> i i don't know if that's what i believe but i i hate the interview process as it exists yep but uh what expound on your point what do you mean the interview process so i have seen at three different companies from multiple different people all tell this same story which is that and as strange as this sounds that if you have a rigorous challenging interview process that afterward people who take your job and who had other offers at other places will sometimes say that the reason they took your job is because they felt challenged by the interview and that was a positive signal for them i've heard it time and again has this happened to you too yeah, on both sides of that coin. So I've I've had jobs where I got the interview, took the interview, it was extremely rigorous, and I felt challenged, and I felt like, okay, I got to go work there. Um, almost like I had earned something, and now I had to accept the offer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's kind of a weird psychological effect. And I've also yeah. uh, participated in interviews where um, it's too easy, you know? And I'm like, well, aren't you going to ask me challenging things to figure out if I know my stuff? And it yeah. also makes me think, well, who else kind of kind of skirted the process or just like slipped through here? Am I going to have to work with people who kind of don't know what they're doing? Like, I want to work with people who are inspiring and smart and can teach me things. Um, and I and I also like working with people who are inexperienced and I like helping to mentor. Like, it's not like I will only work with people more experienced than me, but um, I don't want to work with people who are... Uh, I don't want to use a euphemism here, but what some people might call deadweight, which is a term that I hate, but I can't think of a better synonym for it. Sure. I haven't had the experience of an interview process was so rigorous and I barely passed it and that made me really excited to join. But I have had the opposite where I they just had no idea if I could actually do the job or not, but somehow they, they wanted me to work there. And I, yeah, that I agree with you on that. It reflects poorly, th- right? Yeah, to me it does. Um, I think the, if we assume that we live in a magical fairyland where a really intense interview (laughs) process means you hire really talented people, I think that can be another, um, really powerful thing to attract, um, other talented people is, uh, they, they want to work together. So if you can say our team is amazing, everyone that works here is smart and you'll learn something from everybody. That's, that's happened to me at a few jobs. Uh, and, and I've also seen it, um, at at a company I worked at a few years ago, the team was really smart and really young and, and everyone was kind of like getting started in their careers. And as the team and the company grew, that team became known as like a really smart, really capable team. And, and it helped us a lot with attracting people to interview there and, and, and it just kind of sustained itself. So how do you signal to the world that you have a team like that? Um, 
that's a great question. <laughs> that's here's an idea: find the smartest person you know, interview them, and then reject them, <laughs> <laughs> and then tell everybody about it. They couldn't hack it. <laughs> Imagine the people that could. I mean, some of it, some of this is standard engineering marketing stuff, like having a tech blog, contributing to open source, supporting people that speak at conferences, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's all the very visible side of engineering. I don't know how you make it known about the, the brilliant people that just don't care about any of that crap who, um, honestly, in my experience, seem to outnumber the brilliant people that do do all that crap. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So I, I don't know the complete answer but some of it is just kind of putting a little effort into spreading that word and then let word of mouth marketing take it from there yeah well a tech blog is a big one if if you have people that enjoy writing and are smart let them write and help them yeah. do it on company time yeah i i have incredibly positive impressions of lots of companies i know nothing about personally just because of their tech blogs so so let's go back to the interview process a little bit. I think that as a interviewer, it's really important that you are willing to say out loud to the candidate, we try hard to make this a great place to work. Because if you don't say it, how are, how else are they going to know it? And yeah. um, I think saying that out loud helps to reinforce also to your own mind that this is a priority for you. And it also is something you need to be saying to management. You know, we need to make this a great place to work and get management bought into the idea that they will have a better company and a better product if you can hire good engineers. And to do so, that means you need their support in making it a great place. Yeah. I mean, if you're already interviewing them, to some extent, you have attracted talent already. Yeah, it's true. So how do you make them know that before the interview process? Well, that's the word of mouth stuff, right? Oh, That's where you okay. find the smartest person in the world and reject them. Yeah, like me. <laughs> that's Clearly, that's the only reason I've ever been rejected from a job interview, is to help build their street cred. <laughs> oh, man. The market is so competitive for to hire engineers right now that it can feel frustrating and like you don't have much to differentiate yourself. There's always someone that will pay more than what your company can offer. There's always mm -hmm. someone with more i don't know a, a product that more people have heard of or yep. there, there's just a lot out there but there there is there's got to be something about the place you work that you can offer that other people can't if you're a brand new company or a small company you can offer promotions or responsibilities that people might not get at other companies or there, there's just something there's something you have that's different from everyone else even though you feel like at everything your company has, there is another company that's better at that exact thing. Right. There's some combination of attributes about your company that you can offer that other people can't. So if you can identify that, you can use that to try and yep. sell people on. I totally agree. And I think you need to practice that messaging. And, you know, sometimes you hear people use the term narrative, like come up with a narrative that is both true and really compelling to engineers and try them out as you're meeting new candidates who may want to join your company. Um, use that narrative and see what resonates with them. Um, at every company I've worked at, I've, I've done this, uh, I think subconsciously actually, because I'm mostly trying to find purpose for my own self yep. really. And if you find something that gives you purpose and meaning in the work you do, then it's likely that it will resonate with other engineers. Figure out how to tell that story, figure out how your company is doing something good for other people. 
that's the make the world a better place yeah. speech, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Try not to be too sappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, it, I don't know. I, I actually do get pretty sappy when I tell these stories. And do um, you? I'm yeah. I'm a little cynical about but, the make how how my company that builds a I don't know a microsecond ads auction market makes the world a better place <laughs> or whatever. There's a lot it's of true. companies that make money a better money <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's true but and maybe there are people who are into that but uh like i think the reason i can get away with that is because i actually am kind of a sappy person i don't know if you yeah. noticed this about me but <laughs> i, I kind of am and so when i tell the story i think people are like wow this guy really believes this stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i do like i wouldn't say it if i didn't and and it's what sustains me so sure i i I have definitely worked at some jobs that did not have <laughs> or either did not have or I did not believe in the mission, but there yeah. were other things that attracted me there. Um, this kind of gets to another point, though. You, you mentioned earlier about how... Did you mention this? Did you already talk about how it's hard to be all things to all people? I did not, but that now is a great time. That was a, well, good, that was a good segue. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Take it away, Dave. <laughs> so... I think it's impossible to be all things to everyone. Oh, um, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> um, which means that there are going to be qualified candidates who are not interested in your company. And you have to come to terms with that and and just accept that without getting discouraged when they say no. Um, because you want to find people who align well with your culture and your mission and uh and your company's values and that's not just not going to be everyone you know um but when you do find people who align well i think it turns out way way good so yeah the the other thing you need to do i think when you're interviewing people especially is figure out what they are looking for and sometimes you can just ask this question point blank and some people will have answers but a, a surprising number of engineers don't really know like they're like i don't know well, what do you have to offer <laughs> you know like they haven't really thought got? of it in <laughs> they haven't really thought of it in those concrete in that concrete of terms. Yeah. So once you figure that out though, you can really uh tune your message to resonate with them with their specific needs. I I do want to go back to the being all things to all people point because I think it can be really scary at first when you think there's this pool, this set of all available engineers. And if we, if we do some things that some people in that set will dislike, we are limiting the set of people that we could ever have work here. So it feels like it's, it could be a negative thing. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so much easier to attract people if you have a strong identity. And that means there, you pick some things that you really are against and some things that you're really for. And it's way easier to match up with those people that, that agree with that than it is to stick out in just like the broad sea of companies that do computering. Yeah, that's kind of like kind of like our our episode on specialist versus generalist, right? Like the great paradox yeah. is that the more you specialize, the easier it is to find the people who need your services. Yeah, right. Even though yeah, like, the set is smaller. Yeah, like like Etsy, they have a monolithic PHP app, which some people have already puked in their mouths. But but they just do all this <laughs> awesome stuff around monitoring and operations, and they're kind of famous for that technically. 
So they they attract a certain type of engineer, engineers that either like PHP or aren't kind of like snobby about PHP and people that are excited about monitoring and continuous delivery. And so by by identifying some things and being really strong about them, uh, and this is all pure technical stuff too, right? then that, that, that gets them cred. I don't know. That makes it easier for them to attract certain kinds of people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like a super specific example. And there's more broad things you can uh, also identify about your company as well. Like, are you a super demanding company or are you a laid back company? And either way, you're going to filter out a big chunk of the population. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you inspire, do you like competition? Do you depend more on collaboration? Do you do remote? Do you expect everyone to be in the office and you have kind of defined thoughts about why that's better or yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ways to create a culture and then kind of enforce that. Yeah, definitely. And, and you don't really have to pin yourself down to one of those necessarily, but Mm -hmm. you probably will anyway, eventually like companies just kind of evolve this way. And yeah, I think think it's really important to identify what your culture is in those regards. Yeah. So you don't miss sell yourself. Yeah. Well, so you don't miss sell yourself, but even so you can sell yourself, Mm. you you might have to go do some sociology, I don't know, anthropology, is that what it would be (laughs) to go examine what it's actually like. And then you can just emphasize stuff that's already there that to you might just seem like part of the air. It's just how the world works. But to people outside, it might be something really unique and different. That's called anthroculturology. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> cool. So, uh, did we already talk about how good teams are self-sustaining? Yes. That one we actually did oh. a little bit. Okay. But so, do, could we, should we talk more? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, I think that there are people in the industry who you sometimes notice uh, other people will follow them around from job to job. Mm-hmm. And you'll see this trend happening. And, and I first noticed this right out of college when I went to work with uh, this small company that had about a dozen people. And the, I heard these people talk like over lunch and at the water cooler as if they had been lifelong friends. And I realized like over the course of the next few months, it's because they have been like they, they had worked together. <laughs> they had worked together at like five companies over 25 years. And yeah. you know they had some, a few years apart and then back together, you know, and it was like, they had, I think they had like one or two ringleaders where wherever they went, the rest of the guys would follow, right? Yeah. And I say guys because this happened to be a cohort of men. So um, if you can find people like that who have both a good reputation for being a good engineer and who other engineers like to follow, it can be a real gold mine for attracting talent. Yep. I've seen that exact same thing happen. Some of it is explicit where people are like, this person left and went to this job. I want to leave and go to this job too. And some of it is just a little more slow and diffuse where they just kind of like reach their tentacles out and, <laughs> and bring people in. <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely seen that. Also, um, from another story from my own experience is that sometimes you'll hit all the right points and you'll think you've got an engineer who's going to come work with you. And then they'll express a con- or they'll just say no at the like the final moment. They'll be like, nope, I'm not going to come. And to me, like this is the final, well, it is the final chance you have to attract that engineer and and mm-hmm. convince them that 
they should join your company. Now, by the way, I would never advocate for convincing someone to join your company if you actually believe it's not the best thing for them. Um, <laughs> that's probably an important point we should have made first, which is don't try to attract people who you don't think it's in their best interest to work with you. Sure. Um, but what about that sweet, sweet referral bonus? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I've got stories about that, too. Anyway. A different um, question. At the, <laughs> at the last moment, I've had engineers say, no, I'm not going to accept your offer. And that's where it becomes important to figure out what it is exactly that is concerning them. And sometimes you'll be lucky and you'll realize that the thing that's concerning them is actually something that's not valid or it's some, uh, a, maybe a mistaken impression that they got and you can talk through it with them. But you really need to be willing to talk specifically about engineers' needs if you mm-hmm. want them to go all the way through the process and accept your offer. Um, yeah. And sometimes engineers like myself shy away from these topics because it's like taboo or something like, you know, it's almost like the money talk you sometimes don't want to have. Right. Yeah. But you need to. So there, there are definitely times where people might say no and not tell you why. And if you Mm -hmm. knew why you'd be able to solve that problem for them, basically. Yeah, exactly. With the power of words. With the magic of words. (laughs) I thought it would be with the magic of PowerPoint slides that you had prepared. <laughs> with, but they would have words on them, of course. So I guess it's the there same thing. It's just another medium for the words. I think our industry has a large problem with diversity, where it's hard for people that don't look like a lot of the other people that, that work in the industry already to break in and to get jobs and to get promoted. And so I actually think if you... How is a a gigantic question mark to me that I don't understand fully. But I think if you can create a culture that is attractive to to diverse people, that feels like a gigantic competitive advantage because they're they're out there and and they're very aware of, of what it's like at all these different companies and how friendly and welcoming they are. And um like like Slack is one example of a company that does an amazing job of hiring diverse engineers. And I see people talk about it all the time. It it attracts people to work there. So if you can figure that out and make it friendly and welcoming, I think that's a gigantic advantage that um, honestly, lots of companies do not have and never will have. You mean like they don't, they just don't even have access to large swaths of the marketplace. Yeah. There's, there's large populations that have heard bad things about them or feel unwelcome or feel like they don't have a chance to succeed or, or um, want to work there, but just can't get in the door because of hiring practices or, or cultural things or, or just networks of everyone that works there is a white male. And most of those people know white males. So those are who they refer and things like that. So just some of it could just be inertia like that too. Really good point. But yeah, there's there's a gigantic, largely untapped population out yep. there, I feel like. And I've seen that in action as well. Okay. So the last thing I want to say about this topic is you usually have to be willing to pay top dollar to attract top talent and um you know not every engineer is going to demand like these um, this amazingly huge salary but but the good engineers will generally demand a good salary competitive you know a a little bit above market at least salary has that been your experience jameson i'm trying to think yeah i mean it sounds good (laughs) it certainly would not hurt (laughs) i like i like money yeah (laughs) Yeah, money, money seems fine. I don't think it would hurt. There are companies that have reputations for paying really well, and that attracts people. It, it might. This might be another way you can differentiate your company, where it's a thing that some people will be really excited about, 
and I don't, I don't know that people would be like, they pay a lot of money. That's garbage. But like there, there will be some <laughs> subset of, so it won't drive people away, but there will be some subset of engineers that'll be more excited about that. This is also a bit of a tricky balance because that, it's when, really easy to do wrong. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you offer too high of salaries, you will attract a segment of the population that is looking for a quick pay bump. And as soon as your company is no longer the highest paying company, they'll be off yep. to the next one, you know? So you have mm -hmm. to balance that against um, that phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. It, it's also hard just because if your business doesn't have enormous piles of cash, like that money yeah. has to come from somewhere. <laughs> so so businesses have incentives well, to keep salaries as low as they can look, and get away with. You just need to mow lawns and make up the difference. Yeah. If you want to attract <laughs> the best talent. It's just the sacrifices you must make. I, I think in my mind, money is another facet of that same set of perks that we talked about earlier and that you, you can do it without being a good place to work, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not though. Maybe you wouldn't, maybe if you're not a good place to work, you wouldn't have the money to throw around in high salaries. Mm, I think you could. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have some kind of experience about that. I, well, I've heard stories about people who work for a certain sector of the financial industry um, yeah. that have these astronomical developer salaries, but they also are just terrible um, places to work, like just super demoralizing, tons of hours, really aggressive yeah. and stressful, but they pay but, really well. Yeah, they pay incredibly well. Like I've, I've heard 500K as a, like a fine salary for a super talented quant. <laughs> wow. It's, it's really interesting though. I feel like, like sometimes in places I hang out online, there are, I don't know, like comment threads or whatever. And you can just see when those people get into it they just have like a different way of looking at the world and talking about things and different values so i i think people that work there often are people that want to work there where they they're workaholics and they want to work crazy hours and there, there are some insane technical problems they deal with that would never ever occur at a place that like builds a shopping cart or <laughs> and they're they're highly financially motivated so that's mm -hmm. where they go well there you go so last thing I want to say about compensation. This is, I think the last thing I said was actually the second to last thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the actual last thing. Okay. Which is <laughs> you, you need to be prepared to verbalize to people uh, all the components of your compensation. And this can include the benefits that you offer, whether it's like a retirement benefit or health insurance. It can include, of course, your salary, any bonus system that's in place, any kind of equity comp, time off, uh, flexible office hours, things like that. You need to be prepared to explain those things. And... I think that uh, that kind of stuff can be really attractive and a lot of people have a hard time talking through it because it's not code, you know? Yeah, yeah that's that's the thing my last employer did really well. They have amazing benefits. They're so good. And some people don't know the value of them Some and some people don't know that they offer them. So, yeah, cool. Question answered? Question answered. Excellent. You're welcome, dear listener. Dear listener. Hello, friends. It's sponsor time again. Our sponsor is Dev Mountain, which is a coding boot camp with campuses in Salt Lake City and Provo, Utah. They offer free housing for the full-time uh, students. The full-time program is 12 weeks long, and they do UI, UX, web development, and iOS. They also have part-time classes if you don't have the, the schedule flexibility to just take three months off of life. 
Um, we're going to go back and talk a little bit more to Barbara Liao, who we've met the past couple weeks. We talked to her a little bit about things that were surprising to her about the development community and just kind of software culture in general. Actually, you know what? That is something that surprised me was how Twitter crazy all developers are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I mean, I try to go on there and I've had a Twitter for a while, but I never posted anything until I became a developer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am on this all the time. Even if I'm just like lurking, like I don't even really post, but I get all my news from there. Someone today was like, oh, did this come out? I'm like, oh yeah. And they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, Twitter. Like, <laughs> that's, how does anyone know anything in the developing world? Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. If you are interested in picking up new skills or refreshing old skills, check out Dev Mountain. You can go to devmountain.com. If you actually go to softskills.audio slash devmountain, then uh, it'll redirect you to their website, and then we can prove to them that we directed traffic to them. So that'll help us out too. So check Dev Mountain out. Back to the show. All right. Jameson, would you read our next question? I will read our next question. This is from an anonymous listener, a spooky ghost. I just, I don't know. I it's not Halloween ghosts. anymore. <laughs> yeah, but an, I, I don't know. In my head, anonymous listeners are all ghosts. Anonymous. <laughs> I have interned at a company for six semesters, and I'm about to graduate and have landed my dream job. What's the best way to turn down the company I've been working at without burning any bridges? Six semesters. That's a long internship. Yeah, that's, that's a long time. Some people don't even go to school for six semesters. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, we were I mean, not I laughing guess... at you, college dropouts. You're probably all super rich and <laughs> living and listening from your yacht. One of them is among us right now. <laughs> I went to school for more than six semesters, though. Wait, isn't it like only eight semesters to graduate with a bachelor's? Yeah, some hardcore people can do it in faster, though. So you you were just barely above six semesters? <laughs> no, way above. So, oh. Some of us also changed oh. their minds oh, about it. what okay. they wanted to study a lot too and <laughs> had a brief foray into pre-med. Oh, oh. Which was actually not brief and several semesters long. Oh, my. So, and some of us then changed their mind again. Oh, <laughs> well, you're really, maybe you should have majored in mind changing. <laughs> maybe i did okay all right so how do you quit, how to that quit without burning bridges <laughs> yeah. so i'm assuming this is this listener's first job well uh probably. because <laughs> just from the way they've talked about it and for me quitting my first job was pretty hard and nerve-wracking yeah, me too i worked on campus for a while and and those jobs were easy to quit because they were all staffed by students and the expectation is it's pretty transient but the first job i quit i felt this deep personal responsibility to the company and that they would be I thought that they were going to be mad at me, like pissed mm -hmm. off that mm -hmm. I was quitting. Me too. And I quit and they weren't mad. They were like, well, we want you to still work here, but you don't. Well, I was pretty anymore. mad at you. So, yeah. I, I remember you, thinking you quit that job and I was enraged. <laughs> You've forgiven me eventually. Though. I didn't even know you, but I was I was just so mad. You felt a disturbance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, I had the same sense. Like it was like I was stabbing them in the back. It was like, yeah. Betraying them, yeah. letting them down. Yep. <laughs> and I was worried they would be mad. Yeah. But they weren't. <laughs> they they weren't in my case either. It was totally fine. Turns out that, uh, let me tell you what it feels like on the other side of the desk when someone comes in and quits. Mm -hmm. I have never, I've had that happen to me, I think, four times. And in every case, my thoughts immediately turn to myself, not this backstabbing little intern 
you know, whippersnapper. It was all yeah. about what did I not do to retain this this engineer? Oh, I thought you meant myself. Like, wow, they're quitting. Like, maybe maybe I should look around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get off the sinking ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that that thought. Well, actually. Yeah, that thought crossed my mind too. But but again, it's not <laughs> it's not about the person quitting. It's about me. Like, oh, what did I do to mess this up? Oh yeah, you know. And, and, I, and even that's not that long. Usually, they tell their story, and I'm like, oh yeah, that is a great opportunity. Well, good luck. That sounds great. Yeah, I've had. Let's see. I think only two people quit on teams that I was kind of in charge of, and in both cases, it was like, I don't know. There's there's nothing I can do. It it really is, does sound like it's better for them where they're going. They have credible reasons, I, and yeah. I tried to convince them to stay. Like, well, have you thought about? this and holding up a giant bag with a dollar sign on it or whatever <laughs> and they're like yep the bag they're giving me at this other place is way bigger than that <laughs> and then i was like okay sounds great for you <laughs> i think that um so even though we just said that they probably won't take it personally and they probably won't be mad um it can help you to get out of the awkward conversation not avoid it but to get through it by coming up with a good narrative there's that word again narrative yeah. Yeah, um, where you describe why this is an opportunity for you that you think you just can't turn down. And my favorite phrase is, this opportunity just came to me and I just feel like I can't pass it up, mm -hmm. you know? And suddenly it's all about the other opportunity, not about how crappy this job is. Yep. You know? Yeah, I actually, I worked for several years with a developer who is amazing and everyone loved them and they did great work, just incredibly talented and they quit to go move out west and join this large tech, well, not, I don't know, are they still a startup? I don't know, one of the gigantic <laughs> mega tech companies. And I wasn't their manager or anything, I was just a peer. And the, the, their boss tried so hard to convince them to stay, pulled every trick, and it just didn't work because they had decided. And then it was kind of like a graduation party instead of like everyone being mad at them. Where everyone was just like, that's awesome. This is, that's, that's so cool that you're going to work there and you're going to do all this awesome stuff. Like mm -hmm. we're sad to see you go, but man, that, that's amazing. Exactly. Like they, they'll probably be happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were definitely happy for them, even though we were sad that we weren't going to work together anymore. As you're describing the situation to your boss, try to use I phrases where you're like, I felt like I couldn't pass this up. I was excited about this opportunity and and try to avoid phrases like you, like, well, you just aren't where I want to go. You aren't the company I want to work for. Um, and you have terrible management skills. <laughs> you know, like, yep. let's not say those things. And even if you're tempted to unload some of your criticisms of the company, which after six semesters, you undoubtedly have observed some negative things about this company. Yeah. This is not the time for that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. When I quit my first job, uh, my first off-campus job, I, I had some dirt. I was itching to get some stuff off my chest. And my dad sat me down and was like, do not say any of it. It's not going to help. You're quitting. They're not going to like, you've already left their tribe. So yeah. your word doesn't hold that much weight with them. Yep. And the, all you can do is just make them mad. Yes. No good can come to you if you do that. Now, I, I don't know if that's like a universal truth because I feel like there's there's got to be ways to give negative feedback to companies. But if if you're quitting and they have no idea about how you feel about some of the broken stuff, like 
something else went wrong, I guess. Yeah. Like your manager should po- probably be aware of the things there that you don't like. If, if it's like you're quitting because there are things that you don't like. If it's just, I don't know, Google gave you a bajillion dollars and you're really pumped about <laughs> that, then yeah, awesome. <laughs> I don't know. But if, but if there are things you dislike, I, I don't know that the exit, in, I agree with you, Dave. I don't know. The, the exit interview is a great place to ramp yep. them all. And that's it. I think I think you'll do fine. Yeah. Sounds sounds like an awesome dream job. Yeah. It's, it sounds like a dream job, honestly. It sounds literally like a dream job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, don't be nervous. Question answered. Question answered. We did it. Jameson, where can people go if they want to support the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast? They can do that in a couple ways. They can tweet about the show. They can go to softskills.audio and check out past episodes. They can also go to softskills.audio slash devmountain and uh, they'll get sent over to the Dev Mountain website. We're so grateful to them for sponsoring. They um, bought my Ferrari, Dave's giant thing, <laughs> and soon they're going to buy me something even bigger to make up for what they <laughs> stiffed me on. So, <laughs> Thanks, Dev Mountain. Thank you.